Okay, let's pray together. We want to dig into God's word. Thank you so much, Lord, just as has been shared and sung about today. We can come to you as we are, distracted, preoccupied, weak, confused, whatever, and you help us. We don't bring anything to the table but our need and our sin. And you're full of grace and mercy for our sin and for our needs. And so thank you that I can come to you now and just say, help me, Lord, to preach. I need your help. Would you come and work in me and in us now through your word? There's a special work you want to do in each of our hearts through this passage of scripture. And so, Lord, would you come now and work with power, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Working our way through Philippians, coming towards the end here. And if you need a Bible, as we always say, please raise your hand. We want to bring a Bible to you that you can use this morning, so that you can study this passage with us. And in the Bibles we're passing out, Philippians 4 is on page 982. So go ahead and turn there. Now, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 is not an easy verse to understand. I mean, it's deceptively simple when you first read it, but I've struggled to understand this verse for a long time. And so I've been looking forward to preaching through Philippians and getting to this verse so I could have a week just to study this verse and pray over this verse and and read what other people are saying about this verse. And so what I want to do this morning is walk you through the pathway that the Lord has led me on this last week in terms of looking at three different possible meanings that this verse could have and and share with you my conclusions about verse 8. And I'll tell you, my conclusions are still tentative, but I've learned some new things this week. But then we're going to land on verse 9, because I'm not tentative about verse 9. I am 100% certain about what verse 9 is saying. And we're going to land there because the Holy Spirit has something special. He wants to say in in every single person here, there's no accident that you're here this morning. He wants you to hear loud and clear something from Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. But but to get there and to set the stage, we're going to start with verse 8. So let me read verse 8. Here's what Paul writes. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So here Paul has some things that he wants us to think about. Think about these things. So the the big question in understanding this verse is, what are those things that he wants us to think about? So let's start with that question. Now one answer is that the things Paul wants us to think about are things that are true or excellent, for example, in general. And that's what I've been taught for, for years, is what this verse means. And that, that might be what this verse means. Okay, So Paul would be saying, think about things that are, are true, not things that are false. Think about things that are honorable, not things that are dishonorable. So that may very well be what Paul is saying in this verse. He wants us to think about things that are true or excellent in general. But recently, some scholars have given a second approach, a different answer to that question. They don't think what Paul is saying here is we should think about things that are true or honorable in general, although that's a true thing and that's taught in other passages in the scriptures. But they don't think that's what Paul is saying in this verse. They don't think Paul is saying think about things that are true or excellent in general. They think what Paul is saying is 
that we should think about things that are true or excellent in our culture as a way to connect with people and build evangelistic bridges into the culture. You think, well, where, where do they get that? Where does he say that? Okay, well, there's, there's two reasons that they have come to this conclusion. One of them is Gordon Fee, who I think most of, many of you have heard of. The other one's Moses Silva. I was intrigued. Moses Silva taught me Greek like 40 years ago at Westmont College, okay? He's still writing commentaries on Philippians. So anyway, so here's two reasons that they came to this conclusion. One is because of the, the words that Paul uses in this list. There's eight words, true, honorable, just, pure, and so on. These eight words are not words that Paul usually uses to describe Christian virtues. Um, in fact, some of these words are only used by Paul in this verse, nor else in his letters. And these words are commonly used in the surrounding culture, the Greco-Roman culture, to describe how people should live. So these scholars started to wonder if the reason Paul uses words that are common to that culture, more so than are common to his own vocabulary and letters, is if he's saying he wants us to think about things that are true or excellent or honorable in the surrounding culture as a way to see here's connecting points with our culture. Culture's not all bad. God's common grace is working in every culture, and every culture will have some things we can say, that's good, let's talk about that, build a bridge on that, and through that share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so for example... Uh, if a culture affirms that racial equality is good, valuable, honorable, which it is, we should say, that's right. So true. And we can connect with people about that. And we can talk about how we're all created by God in God's image, black, white, yellow, brown, whatever, right? So we can affirm that, build a bridge on that, build a connection, a relationship, and through that share the gospel. So that's one reason that these scholars give. It's because of the words that Paul uses. A second reason that they point to is that phrase where Paul says, if there is any. Paul says, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. So the scholars ask, well, if Paul's making a list of good things we should think about, why would he say, if there is anything excellent or worthy of praise? I mean, isn't God excellent? <laughs> isn't Jesus worthy of praise? Paul, what do you mean, if? Of course there's things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So why would Paul say, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise? And their answer is, what Paul is saying is, if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise in the surrounding culture, see that, recognize that, think about that, build a bridge to that, and advance the gospel through that. So these two reasons make some scholars think that in verse 8, Paul is not so much talking about thinking about things that are good or excellent in general, but things that are good or excellent in our surrounding culture. So we'll be learning about the culture. How can we advance the gospel in our, our culture? So for example, anybody see the movie Changing Lanes? This goes back a few years. Okay, Changing Lanes, Ben Affleck, Samuel Johnson. It's a, it's a very powerful movie. It's a story of an altercation of road rage between a young lawyer and a businessman. And these two men just start this conflict that almost destroys both of them. I mean, it's just, it's, ah, it's heartbreaking to watch this. But it's a, there's something good and commendable and excellent in the movie. The gospel's not in the movie, but the movie raises the question of how do we get free from the power of evil and wickedness in our hearts? I mean, what could have stopped these men from moving on this relentless battle back and forth, which almost destroyed both of them for really nothing at the very beginning? 
And so the movie raises a great question. So a few years back, I went to see that movie with Raj Avra. Okay, most of you know Raj. Raj is now a missionary in, to some Muslim unreached people groups. But Raj and I went to see this movie with a friend of mine who didn't know the Lord. And, and we watched the movie, and then we had dinner together afterwards. And we talked about how powerfully the movie portrayed the power of wickedness and the power of sin and the power of evil in our hearts. And how can we get freed from that? And so Raj and I both were able to share our testimonies about how the cross of Jesus Christ, his shed blood by faith alone, he, Jesus, is setting us free from sin in a growing progressive way. And it was a powerful conversation. My friend didn't meet the Lord, but oh, we had a good talk. And so that's how these scholars would think we should understand verse 8, that that's what verse 8 is encouraging us to do. Think about things in your culture that are good, acceptable, commendable, things that we can affirm, and use those as bridges to advance the gospel. Okay, so I was intrigued by that interpretation because I love talking about ways to advance the gospel. I love thinking about, man, let's, let's be more missional. Let's connect with our culture. Let's, how can we share the gospel here? How can we do that in Abu Dhabi, right? Just thinking about culture. I, I, I love that kind of stuff. But even though this interpretation was intriguing, boy, plus a, a friend of mine wrote a blog post on this interpretation. That's how I first saw it at the beginning of this last week. I, I got to read this. So I was intrigued and a friend of mine recommended it. But the more I looked at it, ah, I just wasn't convinced, Okay, so I kind of want to walk you through my, my process of thought here so that you'll see how the Lord has been leading me this last week on this. The main thing that bothered me was this. It may be bothering you too. If that's what Paul wanted to say, why didn't he just say it? I mean, he could have said it much more clearly, right? Um, and that's a basic rule of thumb you want to use for Bible study. Whenever you come up against a passage that has a couple of different possible interpretations, you want to go with the most natural reading of the text, the one that you've got to add the fewest additional words into, and just, what's it saying? Okay, now, that doesn't always answer the question, but sometimes it does. So that just kind of puzzled me as I thought about it. And then as I looked at the two reasons that were given by scholars, they didn't seem as strong as they sounded at first. Okay, first of all, I went through those list of eight words to see how often did Paul use any of them in his other letters. And actually what I found was that five of the eight, Paul does use in his other letters. So most of these words are common to Paul in his other letters. Three of them are only used here by Paul, but but most of them, five of them, are used in other letters. And so I just thought, I think it's doubtful that Paul's readers would have concluded from how most of the words are common to Paul, three of them are not used very often, that that's going to give them enough evidence to think he's talking about the surrounding culture. It just didn't seem very persuasive to me. I'll throw that out for your, for your thinking. Second, well, what about then about why Paul says, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise? I mean, doesn't that sound like Paul might be saying that there may not be anything excellent or worthy of praise. So why would he say that if it's not because he's talking about the surrounding culture? But then I remembered that, in fact, my, Jan mentioned this yesterday when I raised the question to her. She said, well, what about Philippians chapter 2, verse 1? Yes. Okay, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul uses that exact same language there. Same book, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Look at what he says. Remember, we studied this a couple months ago. So, If there is any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Okay, so it's clear, and everybody agrees. When Paul says if here, he's not saying there might not be any encouragement in Christ. But if there is, no, no, that's not how Paul's talking. And the reason we know that is because in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, that word if can also mean because. And so what Paul is saying here is because there is encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, because there's all of that that we have in Jesus Christ, complete my joy by being of the same mind with each other. So that's what Paul is saying back in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And so if that's what he's saying back in chapter 2, then it just seems like that's probably the same way he wants that language to be taken two chapters later in chapter 4. Okay, so, so I don't think Paul's point is to urge us to think about things that are true or excellent in the surrounding culture. I, I was not persuaded by that. Okay, so what is Paul urging us to think about? Well, it, maybe he is urging us just to think about things that are true or honorable in general. That may be the right interpretation. Um, a lot of people think that it is. A lot of scholars think that it is. That might be the right answer. But as I kept studying this passage, I, I saw a third alternative, which I'm just going to throw out there. This is fairly fresh for me. It hasn't, hasn't stood the test of time in my own thinking. It hasn't like been seasoned. This is just like brand new, you know, fresh out of the oven, okay? So take it for what it's worth. But, but let me just share with you what I, I think it might mean. I think maybe Paul is urging us to think about things that are good and excellent in Paul's life and teaching and letters, especially Philippians. Here's why. I noticed that verse 9 sounds very similar to verse 8. Read them together to see that. Okay, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So in verse 9, Paul urges them to practice the things they've learned, received, heard, and seen in Paul, okay, which would be all the things that they saw in him when he was there planting the church, preaching the gospel, all the things he had taught while he was there in Philippi planting the church, and all the things that he'd written in this letter. Practice these things. That's, that's verse 9. Practice the things that they've heard, seen, and read in Paul. So I started wondering if maybe verse 8 was teaching us the same thing in different words. Okay, That is, think about all that's true and excellent and commendable in Paul's life, in Paul's teaching, in Paul's letters, in the book of Philippians. Think of all of that. Practice these things. Think about these things and practice these things. In other words, both together. Second reason Notice that word finally at the beginning of verse 8. Okay, that word finally makes it sound like verse 8 is, is bringing this whole letter to a conclusion. Okay, finally, boom. And how is the first view, finally, think about things that are good and commendable in general, how is that a conclusion to the letter? Has Paul said that anywhere else in his letter? Has Paul referred to that anywhere else in his letter? I, I couldn't see any place where he, he mentions that before, and so it didn't seem like that interpretation fit the word finally, which shows this is a conclusion to the whole letter. But it would be a fitting conclusion to the letter if Paul said, finally, think about all these things. 
that you've heard me talk about from my own life and in my teaching, the things that are honorable, commendable, excellent in, in the teaching of who Jesus Christ is. Think about these things, and then verse 9, and do these things that seem to fit the word finally. And I also noticed that the word these things is at the end of both verse 8 and verse 9. Maybe that builds a connection between those two verses. Okay, so that's my conclusion tentatively. Okay, fresh out of the oven. Okay, put the little toothpick in, see if it's done or not. Okay, it may not be done yet. All right, but that, that's, that's what I'm leaning towards now in terms of what I, I think this verse is saying. I'm not 100% sure, um, but I, Sunday morning I had to preach on verse 8. So you, you got something that's, that still needs to be seasoned. But I am 100% sure about what verse 9 is saying. No doubt about that. Read it again. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is calling us, he's drawing this letter to a conclusion. He's saying, now take everything that I've written, everything you've seen in my life, I've described my life in this letter, you've seen my life, those of you who were with me there in Philippi when the church was planted, take all these things and practice these things. Live these things. Do these things. So Paul's saying in verse 9, and that's what I want us to, I want us to camp on that verse now for the rest of our time here. And there's something that we can easily miss from that verse, and that is Paul gives us a very powerful reason for why we should do this. Did you catch the reason? I hope that you've been around Mercy Hill long enough that you, you've got little, like, antenna that go off when reason, promise, reason, because what should motivate us to practice these things? Let's read verse 9 again and, and notice the reason Paul gives. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is huge. The God of peace will be with you if you practice these things that you've seen and heard and read in Paul. Now, what does it mean that the God of peace will be with us? We know that the Bible says that God is, what theologians say, uh, omnipresent, that his influence and his presence is everywhere. Right? There's no place you can go anywhere in the universe where God's presence and influence won't be. You can't escape from God. God's influence, presence is everywhere. It's what the Bible teaches. But the Bible also teaches that there are times when God makes his presence specially real to you felt by you, experienced by you. So yes, God's presence is everywhere, his omnipresence is everywhere, but but his special, felt, experienced, known presence is experienced by us at times in our Christian lives. It's not constant, but there's times where he will, another way that they talk about it, the apostles, he will pour his spirit out upon you and you will see and feel and sense and taste. You're real. You're here. You're good. You're awesome. The God of peace will be with you. And so Paul is saying, listen, church, and I'll say to you, listen, Mercy Hill, practice the things that Paul has said, and in a special way, the God of peace will come upon you. You will experience and sense and feel God's presence. And notice that he says the God of peace will be with you. He just talked about peace back up in verses 6 and 7. And 
he's here focusing on the fact that, and you've experienced this, when God's presence comes upon you, peace always accompanies this tangible sense of God's presence because you see him. He's love. He's sovereign. I'm forgiven through the cross. He's committed to rejoicing over me to do me good the rest of my life. Peace comes, right? Whenever you see and feel God's presence in that way, peace comes. So that's what should motivate us. Now, just one little side parenthesis here, though. Don't think what Paul is saying is that if you practice these things, then you will have earned God's presence giving you peace. That'd be a completely wrong conclusion to draw. Like I said, talking earlier, the best Christian doesn't earn anything good from God because even the best moments of our obedience this side of heaven are still tinged with sin, right? So what Paul is saying here, and it was just unpacked in some other verses in more depth, is that it's because of Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his perfect righteousness, by faith in him alone. It's because of what Christ has done that God in his mercy, he mercifully chooses to reward your undeserving obedience with outpourings of God's peace-giving presence. It's his mercy through Christ. It's our undeserving obedience that God mercifully, graciously rewards with outpourings of God's presence. And listen, if you know the Lord, you've tasted of the Lord's presence. And you know there's, there's nothing like the felt, tangible presence of God, beholding his glory, sensing his love, having his love poured into my heart. There's just nothing like this. And that's why Paul is holding this out. This is why it's worth everything to practice these things. Because as you walk the path of obedience, you will have times when God pours his spirit out upon you. That's why Jan and I are going to Abu Dhabi. Because God has said, Stephen Jan Fuller, this is the path on which I'm going to be for you, for you too. It's the path to Abu Dhabi. That path, and and if you want to walk with me and experience my presence, that's the path you need to be on. So, okay, here we go. We want you, Jesus. You're our prize. You're our treasure. Here we go. And as we practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. There will be times where he pours out his presence upon us in that powerful way. That's why we should practice these things. So with that in mind, one last question. What things have we learned and heard and seen in Paul? Let me mention 11 of them from the book of Philippians. 11. Okay, there. And you're in your notes. It goes on to the back page. Okay? And here's what, here's what I want us to pray. I mean, you're not going to walk away thinking about 11 things. Okay, let's, let's see if we can walk away thinking about one. So let's pray and ask the Lord by the Holy Spirit to take one of these It'll be different for each of us, but to to impress which one of these does he want you to focus your attention on? There will be one of them. So just pray right now and ask him to come and do this. Father, we ask together that by your Holy Spirit, you right now would, would quicken our hearts with which one of these you are saying is most important for us to walk away with and to pursue. So make that clear in each of our hearts, I pray, as we do this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. First, you don't we won't look up these references, but you can look at them up later. Chapter one, verse thirteen. Paul says, Be bold to share the gospel. Even if, like Paul was, he was chained to soldiers who could kill him for sharing the gospel. Paul says, Be bold to share the gospel. Why? Because the God of peace will be with you. 
as you do that. Chapter 1, verse 18. Let Christ's worth overcome any divisions there might be between you and other believers. Any divisions here in this body? So like you're sitting over there because they're sitting over there. Anything going on here in terms of division? Let Christ's worth. And the fact that, remember, their name is written in the book of life. Remember Paul says that here to those two women, beginning of chapter 4. Their name is written in the book of life. Let Christ's worth in saving both of you overcome whatever divisions. Call them this afternoon. Pray first. Get it worked out between your own heart. Okay, I won't do that whole teaching again. But let it bring unity. Why? Because the God of peace will be with you. Third, chapter 1, verse 21. Live for the joy of glorifying Christ and fight to see the worth of Christ so clearly that you see death as gain. Because when you die, you'll go to be with him. Are those just words in a book or is that the felt reality in your heart? That dying, dying is going to be a win. It's going to be a win because I'm going to be face to face with him. My friend, my Lord, my Savior, my God, my treasure, Jesus. Fight to see that. Sin clouds that. We've got to pray. We've got to read the scriptures. Fight to see that. And as you do, the God of peace will be with you. Chapter 1, verse 27. Work together to advance the gospel to bring peop- and, and bring people to faith. That's what we do in our home groups. We're working together. How can we help this person come to faith? What could we do? Could we do an event? Let's invite people to come. Work together to advance the gospel and bring people to faith. And as you do that, the God of peace will be with you. Chapter 1, verse 28. Fight to see what a treasure you have in Christ so you will not fear whatever persecution might come. When you see Christ as your treasure, you won't fear persecution from others. Chapter 2, verse 1. Pursue humble and loving unity with your brothers and sisters. Love each other. Church, love each other. Serve each other. Care for each other. Okay, By seeing all the encouragement and love you have in Christ. And why should you do that? Because the God of peace will be with you. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Don't grumble or question, but hold fast to the word of life. I guarantee you, when you're grumbling... Okay, you're not holding fast to the word of life anymore. You've let go of that word of life. You're trying to hold on to something else that's failing you. This is why you're grumbling. Let go of that. Grab onto the word of life again. Your heart will change. The grumbling will stop. And the God of peace will be with you. Chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Chris Keener preached on this passage. Be like Timothy and Epaphroditus, who were genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. Do you you love each other? Do you love the people around you? Do you care about your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents? Do Do you care about those in your home group? Do you love people? It only comes when God pours his love into our hearts, but he will do that as we seek him and we cry out to him and and then the God of peace will be with you as you love others. (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord by praying over the truth of Jesus Christ until the Holy Spirit fills your heart. Chapter 3, verse 8. Be like Paul who counted everything else as loss because he saw and felt the reality of Christ as his all-satisfying treasure. Are you counting everything else as loss? If you're not, you're believing a lie. Everything else is loss compared to Christ. Everything else is loss compared to Christ. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 
Do not be anxious about anything. How do you do that? By praying, thanking God for all you have in Christ, pouring out your requests before Him. So those are 11. There's more, but those are 11 kind of high points of this letter. So do you have those commands ringing in your ears? Okay, now with those in mind, let's read verse 9 again. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things. Do these things. Obey these things. Work on these things. Whichever one in particular the Holy Spirit's put upon your heart. Why? And the God of peace will mercifully, undeservedly, because of Christ alone, be with you. The God of peace will be with you. So practice these things. Okay, let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Just move upon us now, we ask, Father, by your Holy Spirit. Clarify which area you're, you're urging us to take some steps. Strengthen our faith, Lord, that you can do this. Just like Maria said earlier, this you're the one who gives faith. You're the one who strengthens faith. You're the one who enables us to do this through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, start doing that right now. Give us faith, Lord, that... Yes, I can grow in that area. Yes, I can see victory in that area. Through your power, by your grace, by your promises. So Lord, work in our hearts right now by the Holy Spirit. And we we say, God, God of peace, what we want more than anything else is we want you. We love your presence. We love your love being poured into our hearts. We love beholding your glory in Christ. We love seeing you, worshiping you. Lord, we, we love your presence. And so... Because we love your presence, we want to obey you. Because that's the path in which we will experience your presence. So I ask, Lord, for us as a church that this week, each of us, as we are intentionally practicing these things, each of us would have times when we experience the God of peace being with us in a felt, sensed, real way. By Christ alone, through faith alone, we know but you promised to do it, and we pray that you would in each of our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.